0: I don't really know what I'm doing up here. We can just keep singing In Christ Alone. If you all want to show up on Sundays with that type of energy, it is so powerful to be in this space and such an encouragement to get to sing together. This is a pivotal moment as we are heading to the conclusion of our series through 1 Peter that we called, at the beginning of summer, Built Different. And the idea is that God is building his church not made up of bricks and physical stones, but made up of living stones, broken lives that are being transformed by the power of Jesus. And so the church is not a building. The church is people who have been set on fire by the Spirit of God to live in the kingdom of God right here and right now. And 2,000 years ago, this letter was penned by Peter, one of the best friends of Jesus, as the church was scattered by persecution. And he sat down to write this and said, look, you have to learn how to live in the world, but not of the world, that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And so we coexist in the midst of a broken, dark, lost world. And we have to learn how to stand out and show that we are being built different over time by the glory of God. And every Sunday this summer, I have watched how the word of God spoken by an imperfect and willing person from this stage has broken chains and brought freedom to people because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This, it, like, this is not hype. This was a special series. First Peter, I think, will be something that we look back on for a long, long time As sort of a foundational moment for our church learning how to walk in the way of Jesus and commit ourselves to the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. And now we come to the conclusion today on August 8th, 2021. And to be real with you, I started this series having this one on my mind as what I think about when I think about 1 Peter. If you ask me before this series, what is 1 Peter about, my mind immediately skips to 1 Peter chapter 5 at the very end and goes, oh, that passage about how you cast your anxiety on the Lord, about how you humble yourself before God, like that's the one I think of. Don't turn there. We haven't done a Bible drill yet. Whoa. We all, so far ahead, so far ahead. We're going to have a Bible drill in a second. But I knew that in this moment, I would be ready and excited to preach the word that is scheduled for this moment, but I did not know that my heart would be in the condition that it's in today. I felt all week long, like, I'm always real about what I'm struggling with. I'm always real about, hey, sometimes I get up here and I don't feel like preaching, but I preach anyway, and sometimes, like, this is what's going on behind closed doors. If you want to know what's happening behind closed doors in my life right now, I'm just And I don't mean this in a prideful way at all. I'm so in love with Jesus right now. Like when I'm alone with God right now, it is so vibrant and effective, and truth-filled, and emotional, but yet devoted. Like, and, and it's not that I get up here and I'm out of love with Jesus at times, but you know what I'm talking about. You go through seasons in your life spiritually where sometimes it is just a grind to make it through a quiet time. It is just a grind to actually sit down and pray. But right now, for me personally, I am having some things in the presence of God get unlocked and made clear to me that have never been made clear to me before, at least not this way. And, and my worship has felt authentic and his presence has felt close. And I'm going, God, if I could just stay in this space forever, life would be as it should be always. So that's the condition my spirit comes into this room in, totally aware that there are thousands of people who are going to listen to this sermon today and that's not where you are. And If you're here today and just hearing me say that creates this kind of holy envy, if there is such a thing, where it's like I've had seasons like that, but it's not where I am this morning, but I want that. I believe the spirit of God is infectious, more infectious than a virus, more infectious than anything like hate or injustice going out in our world right now. I believe the spirit of God wants to take what he has planted in me and spread it to any willing heart who's in this room right now. Not that I have the solution, but that I just thought it's not an accident that right now there's something happening in my life spiritually. And I just believe if you made it to church today, it's not an accident. If you're here and you think you are just here by the combination of circumstances or by the invite of a random person, it is not an accident that you're seated where you're seated today. If you're here because you, I don't, you don't go to this church, but the baby dedication had to be here to visit. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that we are gathered in this moment, on this day, ready to hear from the Word of God. And so if you're ready and you have your Bible, hold it up all over this space. Hold it up. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. All right. In light of the fact that we had a couple on our stage dedicating a child that met in this church, I do not want to quench the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so... If you want to remove yourself from the Bible drill, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Everybody else who wants to participate, your Bibles are in the air like you just don't care. I love it. I love it. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll do a longer one next week. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Bible drill is back. It's back, y'all. Y'all, we have gone step by step through this letter. I'm going to read 14 verses and it's going to be over. And all I want us to do is receive what's being said, and then I'll kind of frame it in light of the conversation I feel like God wants us to have. First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it's close to the end of your Bible. If you're there, say, I'm there. It says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you, "'Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another "'because God opposes the proud "'but shows favor to the humble. "'Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand "'that he may lift you up in due time. "'Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. "'Be alert and of sober mind. "'Your enemy, the devil, prowls around "'like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. "'Resist him, standing firm in the faith.'" Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, Encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The title of this sermon is called Under God's Mighty Hand. Under God's Mighty Hand. Can you look at somebody next to you and just tell them, God has a hand? God has a hand. The hand of God is seen throughout the scriptures as symbolic of God's provision, of God's power, of God's presence, and God's protection. When the scriptures talk about God covering someone with their hand, there's a sense in which He gives an elevated level of His power and presence in a given moment. And I've never noticed that in this passage it does not say, humble yourself before the Lord. The Bible says that a lot. In fact, one of the most common statements of the Old Testament is the one that we read from Proverbs 3 that Peter quoted, God opposes the proud but gives grace or shows favor to the humble. God loves to shame the prideful and exalt those who walk in humility. But I want you to notice this. It doesn't say humble yourself before the Lord. There's places in the Bible that do say that. It says humble yourself under God's mighty hand. That's not an accident that that language is used. And the reason why it's not an accident is because it's possible to call yourself a Christian and not live your life in the position under the mighty hand of God. You know you can be a believer in Jesus and not be under God's mighty hand. You know, you can claim to agree to the doctrine of salvation, to agree that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and all the key things that we believe as Christ followers, they're essential to our worldview. But some of you have been followers of Jesus on paper your entire life, but have never gotten your spirit in a position called under the mighty hand of God, where God has full access to your being where God is covering you, he's covering your family, and he's kind of overwhelming you with the level of presence he has dropped on your life. And when I grew up and I heard about the hand of God, I thought it was for a special chosen few. So when I was younger and people would say to me, hey, you have the hand of God on your life, that was some kind of compliment that meant God wants to do something in you that he doesn't do through everybody else. It's something special. It's something significant. But yet, in 1 Peter chapter 5, in the bracket of the passage that's addressed to specific type of people, he says elders. He says to the younger, I got to say this. But then he says to all of you, I have to say this. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And my vision today is that we would learn how to live our lives under God's mighty hand. But listen, everybody look up here and don't miss this. That is not just a call to live your life in submission and surrender to God. It's actually a call to live your life in close proximity to God. So we hear that and we're like, humble ourselves, like make ourselves submissive, make ourselves in a position to receive. But actually, if you just think about it literally, to get under someone's hand, you have to be really, really, really close to them. Like y'all are all very close to me in this room. But comparatively, not very close to being under my hand right now. You have to draw near to someone to be under their hand. And so, what I want us to learn how to do is, I want us to learn how to get so close to God that our lives are accessible to Him readily. And I've got some experience that I'm living in this right now, y'all. I have two toddlers. One is four and a half, one is two and a half, and this is such a fun stage. But if there were one word for the stage that we are in right now as parents, that word would be dangerous. It's dangerous. Our kids are hilarious, and our two-and-a-half-year-old Elliot thinks she is capable of doing everything our four-and-a-half-year-old Aniston can do, and so she'll just mimic and try stuff and do things that her body physically is not capable of, and so we're in a stage where if you take your eyes off of Elliot for longer than five seconds, something dangerous and potentially life-threatening could be taking place, and I'm I'm, I'm not exaggerating. We were at the pool last week or a couple weeks ago with some friends, and she saw a 12-year-old go up to a diving board and jump off backwards, and she thought, it's a great idea. On her own, just, I love that. Which, she's already bold enough to be two and a half and be jumping off of a diving board that's a little bit elevated with her puddle jumper, swimming to the side, she's so ahead and so advanced, like a good Fidel girl should be, and and I'm like, and I, and I didn't even see this moment happen. And I, I was supposed to be paying attention, but I was in the super spiritual conversation with some guys from our community group. And, and Will Herring, you can back that up. And, and so we're, we're having this talk. And then all of a sudden, I see my wife, who wasn't even thinking about getting in the pool. She's like jumping in, going full lifeguard mode. And there were lifeguards there. And I'm like, what are you guys watching? Um, but, but Elliot decided she's two and a half, that she was going to run off the end of the diving board and sort of like turn backward at the end and see if she could do like a 180. And, and she can't. And so her stomach literally hits the diving board straight into the water. Stuff like funny like that happens to her all the time. It's only funny because she's fine now. Um, but it's dangerous in the moment. And so she, she does this type of stuff all the time. Like she gets curious and is like, I wonder what it feels like to face plant on the concrete. And she'll just go, oh, that doesn't feel good. Won't do that again. And that, I guess that's just how she's going to be. But here's what I've noticed about being with Elliot and why it can be so exhausting but so much fun. I've noticed that like, Unless she is within an arm's length distance of me, we are not safe. Unless she is so close to me, because she doesn't know this, but if she is within my arm's length and my hand can reach her, I actually have total control over her life. Even if I'm not touching her. Just her being in that level of proximity, she doesn't know this. She thinks she's living in her own world, but if she's within the reach, under the hand of her father, at any given moment, I can take total control of her life. And I I can discipline, and I do. I know that's not popular in 2021. That's another sermon for another day. I can protect. I can steer. I can do a lot of things in that moment. And so what I want you to see from that illustration is I want you to see this. God wants you under his mighty hand. But the pathway is not just about forcing yourself to surrender to God. It's about learning how to get in close, intimate proximity to God. It's about learning to get your spirit so close that when God wants to do something, he doesn't have to reach far. You're right there under God's mighty hand. Now, to learn how to do that, we're gonna to have to look at the passage in context, and I wanna teach just from the first few verses for a second, so go back to verse one, where it says, to the elders among you. So this letter is to the church, and all of a sudden, Peter distinguishes a small group within the church called elders. He says, I appoint you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The reason why our church is elder-governed is because we believe the New Testament model for the governance of a church looks like appointing elders who are men to lead and shepherd the body of Christ. And we try to stay as close as we can to the scriptures. We didn't invent that as our mode of church governance in a world where it's like, you could do whatever you want. You could govern your church like this, this, and this. We looked at the New Testament and said, how do we stay as close to this as we possibly can? And I love that the morning I'm preaching this, all of the elders and their wives are in this gathering because baby dedications are only happening in this gathering. And I love, I could, I literally could get emotional reading the words that are on 1 Peter chapter 5 because I've been in churches where those words that are read as charges to the elders are blatantly ignored. And we are surrounded, I am personally surrounded by men who model and Daily live out the call to do these things. And I only tell you that not to just go, oh, our elders are amazing, it's awesome, but because we all benefit when the elders are in harmony with God. The whole church is able to stay healthy. And, and what's the charge of an elder? The word elder literally means pastor. Did you know the word pastor does not mean preacher? It actually means shepherd. It means someone who functions in a way to move the people of God in an orderly direction to go toward the express destination. And so that's how the elders function in our church. They're not daily making all the decisions about we're going to do this and we're not going to do this. We're going to do this. We're not going to do this. They're trying to overarching with vision from God go, that's where we're trying to go. This is where we have to move our people. And this is not the sermon today, but to take you once again behind closed doors, the conversations that are happening right now at our elder table are pretty much all about one thing. how do we take the massive amount of people who now call acc home and make sure this doesn't turn into an organization that's about business or that's about systemizing and systems are good by the way don't clap yet it's going to get better systemizing is good if you have uncontrolled growth they have a name for that it's called cancer So uncontrolled growth is bad. You have to have systems and you have to have direction. You have to have the ability to go, let's put a team in charge of that and let's raise up leaders who are going to do that. Systems are not bad. But when systems become our passion more than praying or worshiping, we are no longer the people of God. We are a Fortune 500 company. And so, what we are doing as elders is we're going, okay, we know we gotta systemize and we gotta build that building and we gotta start that and we gotta initiate that and we gotta hire all these people and we gotta do all this stuff. But the main thing we're talking about is how do we do that in a way that makes sure prayer stays the main thing, worship stays the main thing, Jesus stays the main thing. And like we're stressed about it. I wouldn't say we're fearful about it, I would say this is the type of thing that makes us go, that's what this is all about. How do we take this? And so if you've come to ACC and you're like, I wish they were a little more organized and I wish it was easier to get plugged in. No doubt, I hear that. But you need to know the passion of our leadership is to make that happen in such a way that doesn't stifle how personable we are. and doesn't stifle the in the moment power of the Holy Spirit that might do something that our systems haven't prepared for. And we're gonna stay that church. And we're gonna stay in humble submission to God going, God, you determine the direction you want us to go. And I only tell you that to go, there's a lot of pressure in these days on our church because we could very easily become something we don't want to become. We are fighting it. Our wives are fighting it. Our prayer team is fighting it. But no matter how hard we fight it, here's the good news, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So it's an honor to be an elder and a shepherd of the people of God. But at the end of the day, even the shepherds and the elders of the people of God are sheep too. And there's a chief shepherd who's running the direction of the whole thing. And he's the one who's going to hold church leadership accountable. If you find yourself frustrated by what you see in the global church and so much abuse of power and people who are in positions of authority that they ended up using for their own gain or for sinful addictions that they grew up with, just know this, the chief shepherd will hold the leaders accountable. And that freaks me out. But it should comfort you in this moment that the one who's running the church of God, his name is Jesus. And he wins every single time. Now go to verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So he stops and goes, elders, this is for you. Young people, this is for you. There's a growing trend right now of young people who are doing something called deconstructing their faith, where they're ripping apart mentally layers of belief that they didn't even realize over time. They didn't take the time to logistically put all those things in order. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it becomes destruction, not deconstruction, when your pursuit ends up being, I'm going to figure out a way to disprove everything I believed about Jesus. And the reason why so many young people are arriving there is because they don't have spiritual leadership and authority in their lives. When a sheep thinks it can figure out something better than the shepherd and goes off its own way, it ends up bad, no matter how smart they think they are. Young people, Be in submission to older people who have spiritual authority over your life. Keep your heart in a position of humility that goes, I need direction. I need them to tell me what I don't see. And there's no way five elders in our church can do that over thousands and thousands of people. But the great thing about what God is building here is that as so many young people have called this church home, so many people who have walked through seasons of life are starting to get drawn here. And and I just wanna say to that group of people, you're not being drawn here so that you can be more entertained by my sermons on Sundays. You're being drawn here so that you can raise these young people up who are looking to you to go, I need help navigating this life. I I need a safe space to go when I have doubts. I need to have someone I can go to to help shepherd and guard the direction of my soul moving forward. I was talking to a guy on our staff team and I was going, who has spiritual authority to tell you what to do? And he was like, you? And I'm going, that's not good enough because I just yell at you for 45 minutes on Sundays. That's not enough. That's not personal enough. Young people, I want to ask you, and this is a question for everybody, but Peter's aiming at young people. If you are under the age of 25 and you do not know who has spiritual authority in your life to stand up to you, to take you on in what you're claiming to be the road that you're going on, but also to support you. it's not. I love how the elders lead me. They hold me accountable and they're willing to tell me no, but at the same time, they realize their role in my life is not to beat me up, is to protect me. You need men in your life who have surrounded you to do that if you're a young man, and you need women in your life if you're a young woman looking to be a mom, looking to raise your kids in a godly way moving forward. And this is when everything changes. Watch this in verse 5. Elders, you do this. Younger people do this. Now watch, circle this. All of you, okay, here we go. This is everybody. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. All of you, clothe yourselves with what? Humility. It was Augustine, also called St. Augustine, who was asked, what are the top three virtues in the life of a Christian? Like, what are the top three Christian virtues? And he said, humility. Humility, humility. Somebody say humility. Humility Humility is the key to health in your marriage. It's the key to health in your relationship with God. Without humility, you will never have a healthy relationship with your in-laws. You will never have a healthy relationship with those who are older than you or younger than you. And you will never see your relationships truly flourish. It is humility that was at the center of Jesus' ministry, Philippians chapter 2. And it is humility that defines the health of our relationships moving forward. And Peter's going, you have to clothe yourself with this. Like just as much as you put on the clothes that you have this morning, a Christian is expected to put on humility. How do you do that? Because what I've found in my life and what some of you have found over and over again is that humility doesn't come natural for anybody. Two things come natural, pride and arrogance or insecurity and self-hate. Both are rooted in pride. And what does it say? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you think too high of yourself or too low of yourself, they're equally as prideful. And humility is not a character trait that you can wake up in the morning and go, okay, I'm going to be humble today. I'm just going to find a way to, to, th- to not think lower of myself, but think of myself less. Yeah, I saw an Instagram story about that, and that's really going to work just by putting on humility. Here's the problem. Humility is not a character trait you can develop. Humility is the byproduct of being in the presence of Jesus. That is why, watch this, that's why Peter goes Clothe yourselves with humility, and then he talks about humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. Because he knows you can't clothe yourself with humility toward other people if you're not under the mighty hand of God in a state of worshipful awe, and surrender. So he says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. How do I do that? You need to humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And then what's the natural question? You know, when you're reading your Bible, your Bible doesn't want you to be practically lost. Your Bible wants to tell you how to do things. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. How? Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. How? Next verse. Like, keep reading. Here it is. One of the most golden verses in the whole Bible. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's how to be close to Jesus. Here's how to get your life in close proximity with Jesus. You do two things. You release in the presence of God what you care about and you receive in the presence of God what God cares about. This is... Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. How? Give him what you care about the most out loud in prayer. And let him give you what he cares about the most, which is loving you. And when you make that exchange, you have put your life under the mighty hand of God. Y'all, that's an exchange. Do not miss this. The exchange looks like I take everything I care about and lay it on him. So when you read that word anxiety, there's a tendency in 2021 to think we know what that means, but you need to know Peter's not talking about people who just struggle with debilitating anxiety and, and, and mental health is an issue for them. He's talking about all of us. That word anxiety is a singular word that means plural things. What I mean by that is that it's like a bag of a bunch of stuff. If you have a gym bag or a book bag and you stuff it with all kind of different elements, it's got a water bottle in there, it's got books, and it's got a change of clothes, and it's got it's made up of all these different parts, but it's one thing. That's what anxiety is. He says, take that bag of stuff that you care about. Rightfully and wrongfully, like the things you freak out about and the things you rightfully go, I am so concerned because I love my kids. I'm so concerned because I want to have a career that honors God, but I also want to accomplish stuff and I'm driven. I care about this. Whatever your cares are, he says, get them all in a bag. And in prayer, cast them on Jesus. And what most of us do with our anxiety is we try to cast it off instead of casting it on. Casting it off looks like numbing your pain so that you can keep going. Casting it on looks like giving it to Jesus and letting him really have it. So when you're trying to cast stuff off, all you're doing is going, okay, give me enough substances. Give me enough distraction. Give me enough of this numb feeling on the inside so that I can make it through another day carrying all the things that I'm carrying. Casting on Jesus looks like I'm going to release this to you and entrust to you everything I care about. And don't stop there. It's an exchange. I give you that. Now i got empty hands. What am I here to receive? I'm here to receive how loved I am by the God of the universe. He says, give me what you care about, and I'll give you what I care about. And it's not over. we got to finish the passage. Look at verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. I just want to include that last section in it one more time. Because that's one of the most important lines in First Peter. First Peter feels like Paul wrote it a lot of times, and Peter acknowledges why at the end, because he wrote it alongside a guy named Silas or Sylvanus, who was like Paul's best friend. So when you're reading stuff from First Peter, you're like, this sounds like Paul, are you sure this is Peter? Silas is right there. Some people think Silas was the one physically writing it as Peter was like speaking it out loud. Some people think Silas was the letter carrier, but it's extremely important that you know that he was a part of that moment. But he ends this letter with this charge after saying humble yourself under the mighty hand of God by talking about standing firm in the faith, standing fast because why? Because you are under attack. He says be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You know who's an easy target for a lion prowling around? Someone who's not even paying attention that there might be a lion prowling around. That's who's an easy target. Why should you be alert in a sober mind? Because if you're not paying attention, do you know how easy it is to knock you off the path God has for you? And this is where I can't lose you. If you've lost touch with this sermon, you need to look up here right now. Peter's not joking around. He says, There is a roaring lion trying to destroy your soul. Christian, within the sound of my voice, hear me say this loud and clear you have a relentless enemy. Who would love nothing more than to spoil your calling, your family, your future, your enjoyment of this life, your enjoyment of who Jesus is. He would love for your future to hold multiple divorces. He would love for your life to be marked by brokenness and not humility but pride. And he will do everything he possibly can to tempt you and move you in that direction. And do you know how easy it is for a lion to move something that's not paying any attention and he's going you're such an easy target. You got to have an alert sober mind. Once again, when you're reading that, how do I do that? And he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now I don't know a lot about hunting I don't know a lot about what you do when you're around dangerous animals. I don't have a lot of strategies in mind. I kind of like to keep my life indoors to just avoid that situation. But I do know this, standing still or resisting when a lion is about to devour you is a terrible strategy. I'm reading it and I'm going, a lion is coming after me, so stand firm. And okay, that'll get me killed. Resist him, fight. I don't think I'm going to win. Like, I'm, just wa- I'm, I'm watching this and going, are you sure this is the strategy that you want to employ? And if you, if you just came to church for this, this would be worth the price of admission, which is nothing because it's free. Um, <laughs> this is so good. I started thinking about this and I was like, stand firm. Why are you telling them to stand firm? It's the worst advice you could give. It's a lion. Don't stand firm and don't run. Like, you're going to need help. Stand firm. Stand firm. And then it's like, God, awakened me to realize that in Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites are about to cross over the Red Sea on dry ground, they're in a predicament where they have an army chasing them behind them, and they have a sea in front of them. So it's like, we're going to get killed by the army, or we go in the sea and drown. What do we do? And Moses' advice is, stand firm, be still. And you read that, and you go, it's the last thing we should be doing, Moses. <laughs> like, <laughs> problem there, problem there. Stand firm. The Lord your God will fight for you. And what is God most known for in the Old Testament of your Bible? What does he do when the Israelites are obedient to stand firm in front of the Red Sea? He's known for what? With a mighty hand. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He splits the sea for the Israelites to cross on dry ground. When you stand firm and let God fight your battles, his method for you beating the enemy is not you resisting hard enough or you running away fast enough. His method for victory in your life is that if you're in close proximity to God, you're under the mighty hand of God. And what's he gonna do when a lion comes around to destroy you? He's gonna lift you up in due time. So when you're under the mighty hand of God, you got protection from things that on your own, you would never be protected from. And the way to get under the mighty hand of God today is to draw near to him and learn how to actually apply releasing what you care about and receiving what God cares about. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I read that connection. I was like, Lord, you got to be kidding me. You actually have victory readily available in front of me, but it's not on the other side of more effort. Actually, it is. Actually, it is. Oh, we're gonna go there in this next series. I'm so tired. I was, I was just taught wrongly every time we talk about good works and effort. I was taught growing up, effort, no, grace. Good works, no, Jesus did it. Y'all oh, it's so weak. That's so wrong. It's just that our efforts are aimed in the wrong direction. Our efforts don't need to be aimed at being good enough. Our efforts need to be aimed at being humble enough. We make an effort to make sure our lives are in the presence of God and under the mighty hand of God. And you will have to make an effort to do that. I'm sorry. You won't wake up in the morning and go, thank you, God, for your grace, and naturally be there. you got to fight for that state of gratitude and submission. And that's why it says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is an effort, but this is what we're looking to do for the next 21 days this right here. We want to get under the mighty hand of God and learn how to actually cast cares on God and receive the care that God so desperately wants to give us. And some of you, you've called yourself a Christian for so long. You've never actually actively done this. You've never been trained. You've never been called out enough to actually get, get up, out of your seat in church, get down, say out loud what you care about before God, and receive spiritually a lifestyle of worship that puts yourself under the mighty hand of God. And I can just tell you, I've, I've been following Jesus for almost two decades now. So much of that was doing things in my own strength. I'm just one guy being honest. My strength against a lion is a massacre. I have gotten my strength. I've gotten dominated by the enemy before. I have. Because I'm fighting with strength I was never intended to fight with. The fight is about letting the mighty hand of God cover you. And it's not about mustering up enough effort to take on the enemy. It's about recognizing the fact that you can't and drawing near to God. And as you draw near to God, he draws near to you. You need to, this is homework this week. James chapter four, it's almost the exact same as 1 Peter 5. They look so similar. You can look at some of those verses and humble yourself before the Lord. Draw near to God because, because he will draw near to you. Resist the devil. So much familiar language. You need to check that out. But I want us in the, in the I'm not going to do it in two minutes. I'm sorry. In, in the minutes we have left, I want to teach us how to draw near to God. And I want to go step by step to go, you don't have to live in your own strength anymore. It doesn't have to be this way anymore. And I'm telling you from personal experience, I've only tasted this. You put down living in your own strength and you start walking in the strength that's available to you by the power of the Holy Spirit under the mighty hand of God. You have set yourself up for a life of adventure and joy and freedom that you have never tasted before in your life. I want to teach you how to do this. Number one, you guys ready for this? Number one, release your cares through prayer. I got two. Release your cares through prayer. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So I recognize that we are in the middle of an anxiety epidemic that just took a turn for the worse because of COVID and because so many people had to go be by themselves for a while. The problems that we were already seeing with mental health have only multiplied and become worse and worse. And what we're gonna be seeing over the next few decades, I think is the devastation from that. So I know we're in the middle of an anxiety epidemic, and this is something that we speak to a lot. So when I preach this, I don't want this to just be aimed at people who are going, I need some type of help to stop having all the worry and fear that I have, I need. We, We can't bracket this as someone else's problem. I want you to think about your worries and your cares wherever you are in your journey. And there's many levels to it, but everyone in this room or everyone watching online struggles with anxiety to some degree. And what I want you to hear is that the Bible has given you something to do that works. So I'm going to make a statement that I'm fearful about making because I, the last thing I want to do is come across as a guy who's insensitive. You guys know I preached the the sermon about Jesus being a good shepherd. We have talked about anxiety a lot, and people's lives have literally been saved here. I'm so compassionate toward you if that's a struggle for you. It is a struggle for all of us. My problem as I prepared this talk was that I'm not sure us as a whole, I'm not sure we're trusting the Bible to be the Bible. When Jesus said the truth will set you free, he said this stuff works. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is not true across the board, but for like 99% of you, (laughs) that's like a great way of escaping any hate. It might not be you, but it's all of you. (laughs) I am concerned that we are not doing what we've been commanded to do. And people who tell me, I got debilitating anxiety, and I'm just so stressed, and I'm just so worried, and I can't sleep at night, and it's a problem, and I prayed through it, and I want to go. Stop right there. Stop right there love you, trust your honesty, trust your heart, but did you really? Like you got, like you got before God, and out loud, you said, in Jesus' name, here's what I care about right now, God. You you said that out loud. Walk me through it. Talk talk me through it, because maybe, and you're like, well, I just, I felt so paralyzed that I just had to stay in bed, and that's some people, no doubt. There are mental issues that could cause you to do that. But for the vast majority of us, our problem is that our prayers are stuck in our mouths. And it's the reason why anxiety is stuck in your head. you got to say it. you got to bow before him and go, God, in Jesus' name, this is what I care about. Here you go. you got to take this. And I can't do it for you. I can tell you how it feels when I'm there. I can tell you what it looks like for me when I go, God, here it is, here it is. And I mean stuff that you would I don't even know, I didn't even know that I cared about it until it came out of my mouth. Right. And I'm like, I'm just racking my brain for what is it that I'm sensing right now? Jesus, in your name, take this. And some of you, you have to learn how to do it. And you're like, okay, I'll do it. I'm going to go back on YouTube and get alone with God and hit play on your last sermon and get motivated. No, it's great. But you and God, this stuff works. It actually works. And my concern for us is that we have become so distracted in our minds that even when we get alone with God, we can't really connect through prayer. Gage preached this verse a couple weeks ago, and I want to hit it again. It's a a repeat of something he does all throughout 1 Peter. It's in uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, that's interesting Peter said, be alert and of sober mind because there's a lion coming after you in chapter five. And then in chapter four, before this, he has said, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray because Jesus is about to come back. 2000 years ago, Peter felt like we were on the doorstep of the return of Christ. And people love to ignore that and go, yeah, it's been 2000 years. I guess not. Yo, could it be that like, we're right there? I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, oh, it's going to happen in our lifetime because everybody who claims that ends up being wrong. But I certainly look around at what's happening right now and go, you might be on your way, Lord. And when you are, I don't want to be found distracted on my phone. I want to be found in prayer. And what happens is we get alone with God and we're like, okay, you'll take me up on this. You'll get alone with God. And you'll go, I want to give Jesus all of my cares. And you know what'll happen? Your phone will be in the other room. It's silent before the Lord, and your mind is so overstimulated and overexposed, you can't even pray. So I'm saying it works, but I'm saying part of the reason why it's not working for you is because you're not doing it, number one. But number two, when you do it, you get there, and it's like, I, I can't even still my thoughts long enough to remember that I'm praying 15 seconds after I kneel before the Lord. The fight for our lives spiritually is the fight against our phones. And you can quote it. Cordy and I are praying through some bold decisions that we're going to make about our kids in the coming days. And I know we all grew up and, and, and got kind of baptized into this generation of overexposure to technology that we're trying to figure out. But I looked up one day and I'm like, oh, wow, my whole day is spent... Addicted to dopamine hits that I get by getting more information on my phone. I am enslaved. And Paul says, don't let anything master you, but let the Holy Spirit on the inside of you make you. I'm not saying we're going to all throw our phones away, y'all. We're not going to become that church. I am saying if you know it's mastered you, you've got to get over it with authority. And for you to get over it, here's the litmus test. When you get alone with God, how long does it take you to actually be there? How long does it take you to actually get yourself present? And whatever decisions you need to make in these 21 days to be present in the presence of God, you got to get there. Because a new level of encountering Jesus is on the other side of being present. And I believe Peter means it when he says the end of all things is near. So you get alone with God you empty your mind before the Lord and you out loud go, God, I want to give you the things I care about the most. I'm laying them down at your feet and I am here right now. And if I could just beg you guys, there's nothing in your life that matters more than your relationship with God right now. I look around at what's happening in our world. I look around at where we're headed as a country and where we're headed as a society. And I go, the remnant of the people of God will be marked by those who are actually alert in prayer. We gotta get there, and this is your invitation. You're here. You're already here for day one of 21 days. It's amazing. You could get your life headed in a brand new direction, or you could look back decades from now and see that you wasted it looking at stuff that you can't even remember what you saw. So let's take some authority over this. Let's cast some anxiety on God. And last part I'll say about this. As you're doing this, it's a process, and it involves other people. So yes, counseling helps. Yes, for some of you, medication helps. But let's not move to that stuff until we've moved toward this stuff and actually applied what's in the Word of God. That's number one. Number two is going to be a lot shorter. You release your cares through prayer. Number two, you receive God's care through loving union. Receive God's care through loving union. So once you've emptied your hands of what you care about, God doesn't want to leave you empty-handed. He wants you to get your life under his hand. And as you do that, you know what happens to your soul? You get filled to overflow with the love of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus announced that eternal life was here, he defined eternal life by knowing him. This is eternal life, John 17, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Y'all, Jesus is not supposed to say that. He's supposed to say, this is eternal life. Pray the sinner's prayer and I'll see you in heaven. But he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you now and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is available here and now. And salvation is not about getting you to heaven one day. I heard a preacher say this. He said, salvation is not about getting you to heaven one day. It's about getting heaven in you today. So you can walk in this right now. You wanna know how you walk in it? You walk in the enjoyment of knowing that you are approved by a loving father and you didn't do anything to get there, but now you've been given a new opportunity to step into the life that Jesus died and rose for you to live. And believe it again. And believe once again that you are loved. And believe once again the elementary truths of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. And the word Jesus uses for this is communion. Jesus' ministry, the vast majority of it, was at a meal with people doing life. And when Jesus talks about our quiet times, he, his own language is more about a meal than it is about a spiritual discipline that we power through. That's why in Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone wants to dine with me and I with them, just open the door and let me in. We have no context for that because we're all transactional. We're all quick. We got so much going on. And Jesus is like, I just want to be with you to be with you. And I just want to remind you long enough of how loved you are so you don't leave my presence looking in all the wrong spaces for what you should have received from me. So let's receive it from him. We put communion sets under every seat. You can go ahead and get that out right now. So I grew up in a church in the South, just like many of you, and this is how I grew up taking communion. I just want to announce publicly that I don't think what Jesus had in mind was a shot of juice and a styrofoam bread thing. I just, I'm sorry. It's so lame the way we do communion and we are praying about the future doing something else, just so you know. Because for Jesus, it was a meal. For Jesus, it was come, drink, eat, have fellowship, dine with me. And what do we do? Pop, pop, gone. So it's wrong with your quiet time, by the way. So we're gonna do something different. But this is, this is an opportunity for you to physically visualize the price that was paid for you to have the access that you have to God. His body broken and his blood shed. And through communion, I believe, we're gonna taste and see. Just let the physical sensation of these tastes remind you that you have loving union with God. If you're in Christ, now if you're not in Christ, this is an opportunity for you to make a decision today But if you are, this is your moment. By the way, if you're not a Christian in this space, you just wanna drop that right back down in your seat. You do not have to drink or eat anything. This is for those who have chosen to be believers in Jesus. But let's take a moment and enjoy loving union with our Father. As you take communion, Matt's gonna sing a song that's just all about being loved by your Heavenly Father. And we wanna encourage you to just sit and receive this. And let's live out the word that we have heard preached today. Heavenly Father, I ask you, in the name of Jesus and under your mighty hand right now that you bless this time. I've said everything I need to say, now God, I just wanna get out of your way and let you communicate what you have to say to people. Let daughters be reminded that their dad still loves them. Let sons be reminded that they're not disqualified no matter how often they've been distracted. Let those who have been lazy be reignited to strengthen their feeble needs and get up out of the muck and mire that you called them out of a long time ago. God, I thank you for the union that we have with you. I thank you that you are coming soon, Jesus. I pray that it's today. But God, until then, you're gonna find us praying. You're gonna find us standing firm under the mighty hand of God. Would you cover us? Would you lift us up now? Rescue us. In Jesus' name, amen.